Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, hey guys, my name is Ross. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you tonight as we continue to think about generosity. If this is your first time with us, uh, then we're so glad you're here. We hope you have a great time and get a bigger and more beautiful picture of who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll jump in and have a think about Matthew chapter 6. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you for your goodness and your love. We thank you that you speak to us, that we're not left in the dark wondering who you are and uh, what you're like. We pray tonight that you help us to read your word, take it in, and let it change us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the recent changes uh, in my life is that I've started to not like reading the news. And this is a big thing for me. I've always been one of those people who just, I'm a bit of a a kind of news app nerd. Like, I just love reading the news. But I don't like it anymore. And the reason is, uh, I'm really saddened and tired uh, by just horrific things, particularly war that I read in the news. For some reason, I think something's just like kind of switched in my brain as I've been reading about uh, what's happening in the Middle East. I think uh, there's little sadder in the world than when innocent people are caught up in warfare. Isn't there? It's, a, it's tragic and it's really uh, hard. I don't know how much you've been kind of taking in of news recently, thinking about what's happening uh, in the Gaza Strip, but it's, um, it's challenging and it's painful for a lot of people. But it's an interesting thing for us, isn't it? Because for most of us, as we sit here reading on our news app, we don't really experience trauma in the way those people do, do we? The trauma that I experience, it's vicarious at best. I'm not in a war zone. I don't have bombs falling around me. I don't have bullets whizzing past my ears. In many ways, I live in peace and security in safety. I don't go to sleep wondering if I'll wake up the next morning or if my house will be caved in. Uh, We live in prosperity. And that's a really beautiful and wonderful thing we should thank God for, isn't it? But at the same time, there's a funny thing that happens when you live in a place like this, a place of so much peace and safety. It sometimes can kind of lull us into a false sense of security. It's kind of like if you go overseas, you go to Bali or somewhere like that. If you're uh, on the beach in Kuta and someone offers you a glass of water, there is no way you're going to drink a glass of water on a Kuta beach restaurant, right? That's, just, that's insane. You'll get a parasite and you'll be sick for nine months and, you know, you'll be on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald with the worst case of Bali belly of all time. But if you're in your fancy Sheraton hotel... And, uh, and you're, you know, doing your morning routine and you go to brush your teeth and you turn on the tap, you might be tempted to put your toothbrush under the tap, right? 
see the surroundings that you're in, the beauty of the place, they kind of make you think everything's safe and secure, even though it's not. And the same can happen to us. Now, of course, we don't have the danger of bombs falling around us. We don't have the threat of bullets whizzing past our ears. But I am absolutely convinced that each of you is in danger. That every single person in this room is facing a battle. That every one of us is actually engaged in warfare every single moment of our day. Now, the warfare that we face, the battle that we face, it's not over a strip of land. It's over something actually much more significant. It's a battle for our hearts. That's the battle we all face. See, every day there are different people, companies, products, groups, ideas vying for your love. There are all sorts of things telling you that if you own them, if you know them, if you have them, they'll make you happy, secure, joyful, and satisfied. This is what advertising does, doesn't it? Really good advertising makes you think, if I just had that thing, then my life would be better. Then I would feel secure. Then I could comfortably think about the next few years of my life. This is the world that we live in. See, we're not caught up uh, with bombs and warfare. We're caught up in the battle of things. We call it materialism. Materialism is the world we live in. There's all these good, pretty, shiny things out there and we want them, don't we? Like, I love things, I do. I like new golf clubs. I like new t-shirts. I want a pair of new sneakers. I like cars. I like stuff. Do you like stuff? You like stuff. Don't lie to me, you do. We all like stuff. And stuff is the world that we live in. We can't get away from it. We can't just, you know, I mean, we could, I suppose, run off to the desert and try to live there and think we're immune. But really, we're not, are we? Because even if we did that, what would happen is we would start to look at everyone else's stuff and think, I want that. You see, we live in a world where money rules. We live in a world where money makes the world go round. And that can be challenging for us. Because on one hand, we don't want to be people who are defined by things. We kind of know that the world is lying to us. We know that every time we buy a new iPhone, it's not actually going to make us happy and healthy and safe and secure, but we still buy it anyway under the somehow vague hope that it will make us feel a little bit better about ourselves. So we buy into the lie all the time, even though it's a lie. And so what do we do with that? On one hand, we don't want to be greedy. On one hand, we don't want to buy into the lie. We don't want to be kind of suckered in. But on the other hand, we, we are. And we live in this world. We can't escape from it. And tonight, that's really what I want to think about. I want to think about uh, what do we do with this? How do we live in a world where there's so many things and we can't escape them? How do we have a godly attitude to money, possessions, and the things that make our life up? That's where we're kind of going uh, over the course of our night. And hopefully, uh, we'll hope we'll, as we look at God's word, it'll help us think about our hearts and what we can do to have hearts that love God and love others and not just things. To help us do that, uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time in Matthew chapter 6. I love this part of the Bible. In Matthew 6, uh, in the chapters around it, Jesus is in the middle of a little section where he's teaching people about values. He's teaching people about what matters in life. He's kind of showing 
how his values, values of the kingdom, are different to the values of the world. And so we arrive at this little part of Matthew chapter 6. And in this little bit, he's particularly pushing into what it means for money and possessions. And this little section, it breaks up into three parts. Uh, you can see them here. And, uh, and one of the things I love about the Bible, I don't know if you experience this, but sometimes uh, when I first read a Bible passage, I might have all these questions that I want to ask of the Bible. But what quickly happens is, as I read it, I realize the Bible's actually asking me questions. It's actually pushing and probing me and my thoughts and my soul and my mind. And you kind of can't escape that. And that's exactly what happens in these verses. And there are these three questions that it's pushing us to think about. And each of these questions has to do with our hearts. The first question is, where is your treasure? The second question is, stay on that other slide for me, Bryce. Uh, the second question is, what do you focus on? And the third question is, who are you serving? That's where we're going to go over the next uh, few minutes. We're going to think about each of these and see how they change and make us think about our hearts and the place of money and possessions in our life. So let's have a think about where our treasure is. Have a look with me if you've got your Bibles open at verse 19. If you close them, open them back up. Let me read from verse 19. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Okay, these are really uh, helpful but confronting words. What we find Jesus doing here is showing us that in the world that we live in, there are two types of treasures, two types of things that we can store up. The first one are the earthly things, things we store up on earth. And these are kind of obvious things, right? These are those things I was talking about before. They're the new T-shirts. They're the shiny cars. They're the new set of golf clubs. They're the big house by the beach. They're the things that we can see. And the thing about these things is they're all temporary. Did you notice that? So they can either, over time, break down and whittle away, or someone can take them off you. That's the nature of things of this world. And what Jesus is highlighting for us is the danger of stuff and the danger for us to be people who just collect and collect and collect things. You see, what Jesus is saying here isn't that money or things, possessions, are in and of themselves bad. They're not evil. Did you notice the fifth word in the sentence? Have a look at it again. Look closely. He says, don't store up for yourselves. You see, Jesus isn't anti-money or anti-possessions. He's anti-greed. That's the problem, okay? The problem is when we keep on wanting to get more and more and more and more and more stuff for ourselves, when we're storing up our own little treasures and lots and lots and lots of them. And all of these treasures, they, they never give us what we want, do they? I mean, this literally happens to me all the time. I kind of alluded to this before. I think the thing that I notice so clearly in my own life is how this does happen with new technology. It happens to me all the time. I'll kind of have a phone for three or four years and slowly but surely it breaks and then I'll wait for the right kind of cycle of new iPhones to come out and I'll kind of look up all the details and I know I'll have a better camera and all this rah, rah, rah. I'll get it and for the first day, it's awesome. I love it. I love my new phone. 
It does make me feel better about myself and it's good. I want to take photos on it. I don't want to use Christie's phone because the camera's not as good and I'm happy. But literally, after a couple of days, just the, it just totally fades away and it's just another phone again. And I'm like, I was literally thinking about this thing for like weeks and now it's just another piece of metal sitting in my pocket. Have you experienced that? I'm sure you have. We all have these things, don't we? These things we look forward to, these things we think, if I just own this thing, then my life will be better. And we get them, and they let us down. So Jesus says, don't store up these things. Instead, store up treasures in heaven. And I love this idea. You see, this is the second type of treasure. And we should take treasures in heaven in the broadest possible way. Treasures in heaven is referring to things of the kingdom of God. Things like righteous acts. Things like helping the poor and the needy. Things like speaking words of truth to someone who doesn't know Jesus. Things like reading the Bible with a non-Christian. Things like evangelizing to your friends. Uh, Things like speaking words of encouragement to someone who is struggling. They're the things that Jesus cares about. They're the things that Jesus values. And he says these things, they last for all eternity. And they bring not just a benefit now, which they do, but they bring an eternal benefit. And that eternal benefit, it benefits three different people. It benefits us in eternity. It benefits the person we've loved with Jesus-like love. And it benefits uh, the God who it was done it for because it gives him ultimate glory. Jesus says, don't store up earthly things. Like, that's ridiculous in a way. These things just, they break, they're taken away, they never give us what they want. Instead, store up treasure in heaven. Uh, John Piper, an American pastor, he has a, a fun little quote. I'll read it for you now. He says this. He says, quit being satisfied with the little 5% yields of pleasure that get eaten up by the moths of inflation and the rust of death. Instead, invest in the blue chip High yields, divinely insured securities of heaven. A life devoted to material comforts and thrills is like throwing money down a rat hole. But a life invested in the labor of love yields dividends of joy, unsurpassed and unending. Isn't that helpful? I love that image of throwing things down a rat hole. Can you imagine that just for a second? Imagine you have rats in your house. Imagine there's a little hole in the floor. And imagine you get your $2,500, that would probably cost for a new iPhone. And instead of going to Apple to buy it, you roll it into a little ball and then you throw it down the rat hole. Imagine how ridiculous that would feel to you. Imagine how little benefit or value you would get in your life. That's literally exactly what you were doing when you walk into the Apple store and you give it to the person in the weird blue skivvy, Okay. That's what's happening. It feels silly, doesn't it? So Jesus says, don't do that. Instead, invest in the things of heaven, which will build you up, which will show joy and satisfaction that can never be taken away. And then he gives us the ultimate why. Have a look at what he says in verse 21. He says, Jesus, at his pithy best. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How true is that? See, the challenging thing about treasures is we think we're in control of them, don't we? We think that we buy the new thing, the new dress, the new shoes, the new handbag, the new car, 
for our benefit and we get the benefit and it's about us. But actually, what Jesus says is, when you treasure things and when you start accumulating them and accumulating and accumulating them, you don't control them, they actually start to control you. See, the heart in the Bible is the center of who we are. It's what decides our desires and our passions. And so where your heart is literally means the thing that controls you. And all of a sudden, having the new things, material possessions, they start to rule our very lives. And so Jesus says, don't store up treasures on earth. Store up treasures in heaven. And so all of this makes us pause and consider, doesn't it? Where is our treasure? What do our purchasing habits show us about what we really love? What do our most frequent clicks on uh, our you know, web browser show us about what we really want and what really matters? I find that very confronting when I stop and think about it for very long. Maybe you do too. This is the nature of the Bible, isn't it? It shows us who we are. And sometimes we don't always like what we see, but it's good for us because it's when we can have a little recalibration moment. And maybe that's happening for you tonight. But Jesus isn't even done yet. He kind of just builds, <laughs> makes it even harder. And that's what he does next. He moves from where is your treasure to where is your focus. And we see this in the next two verses. Have a look with me. He says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? This section is a little harder for us to grasp at first. The analogy is not quite uh, as simple as before. But it's not too bad when you think about it. If you slow down and think about it, what Jesus is doing here is he's moving from heart language to eye language. And our eyes, they're what we use to focus and to look at things with. Before there were two types of treasures, here Jesus wants to say there are also two types of visions for life. Two things, two ways of seeing the world, two things you can focus on. One of them is good. And if you focus on the good thing in life, what it will mean and what it will do in your life is bring light. And that light will play out in your life. It'll uh, mean that you do and uh, believe and think good things. Jesus-like things. The other is bad. There's a bad vision too. That's the second vision. And that will lead to darkness in your life. So Jesus is saying, be careful what you focus on. And of course, all this stuff about money and possessions, it's never far away. It's right in the background. And so we know that the good and the bad eyesight, the good and the bad vision, it's all about material possessions. It's about this materialism thing in the background. So Jesus is saying, be careful what you focus on. And we know that what we focus on really matters in life, doesn't it? See, the things that we look at, the things that we want, the way that we're trying to set the course of our life is really significant. And so Jesus is kind of building this point up. He started with this idea of treasure. He's saying, you can treasure things and you think you, can, you kind of control them. But actually, over time, what happens is they start to control your heart. But then he goes a step further and he says, not only are they controlling your heart, they're controlling what you look at. They're controlling your motivations. They're controlling your goals, your desires, your hopes, 
and your dreams. And so how quickly does that all get kind of out of shape? And we see the, the challenge before us, don't we? In a world where we're constantly confronted with advertising, with material possessions, with the best things that money can buy, these things can start to change the way we think and live our life. It can do all sorts of weird stuff. It can change the way that you view other people. You can start to think other people are worth your time or someone you want to be friends with based on what they wear. Isn't that a crazy idea, just when you slow down and think about it? Like it is, it's ridiculous. But it's what we do. <laughs> it just happens without us even knowing it. You see, our hearts, they're vulnerable to this. And so we've got to slow down and think. What do you focus on? How do you see the world? And particularly, how do you see money and possessions and their significance in your life? But Jesus goes one step further. Not only do these treasures take over our hearts, and not only do they take over our way of seeing the world and valuing things, they actually control our entire lives. That's where Jesus goes next. Have a look with me, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus kind of finally lands the plane here. It's almost like he says what he's been wanting to say the whole time. He's been building to this point, hasn't he? He's saying at the end of the day, either God or money will be the master of your life. And you notice that he's using this kind of uh, master language, this slave language. See, in reality, you can have more than one employer, can't you? There's probably lots of people in the room, actually, tonight, who have more than one employer. Because employers, they control a little part of your life for a period of time. But a slave master, which is the language of this passage, they're so different. So you can't have two slave masters because a slave master controls all parts of your life all the time. And so you can only have one of them. You cannot serve both God and money. And so he's pushing us here. He's helping us see that this little thing that maybe we don't think is a problem at the start, this false sense of security, this brushing our teeth in the fancy hotel in Bali thing, is actually a huge issue because something will rule your life. Something will control your thoughts, your desires, your goals, your passions all the time. And so it pushes us to ask the question, who are you serving? Are you serving money and possessions? Are you serving money and possessions, something that ultimately we know gives us a short-term little gain, benefit, but is so quickly taken away, that gives us joy that doesn't last? Or are you serving God? Are you living his way in the world? Are you storing up the treasures of heaven, the unseen things of this world? Because those things, they give you a joy and a satisfaction that lasts forever. This is a punchy but helpful thing. See, there's a war going on all around us. We often don't see it. We often don't even notice. But there are all sorts of things making a play for your heart, for what you love. And everything else other than God will always, always disappoint you. And so what do we do with that? See, at the end of the day, 
I'm convinced that most people don't want to be greedy. Most people don't want to be controlled by other things. I think most of us, we, we want to be generous. We want to be uh, able to have nice things but not be controlled by them. So what can we do? Are we just kind of powerless? Are the advertising giants of the world just ruling our life and controlling you? Can you never say no to the iconic? Like, what do you do? How do you do this? Well, I want to give you a couple of thoughts now about what this might look like in the everyday to play out your life in the battle for your heart. And really, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about, firstly, uh, being kind of aware of what's happening in the world around you. The first thing that you can do is just be aware of the game that's being played. Sometimes it's the most helpful thing that we can do when it comes to our hearts. We do. We just need to notice that there are constantly thousands of things every day trying to convince us that they deserve our love and that they can give us security. And once you start to be aware of that, it helps you to combat it in a really helpful way. One of the things I like to do, uh, I don't know why I like to do this, but I do, I like to try to figure out how ads work. Like when I watch an ad, I'm always trying to think, what are they trying to do in this ad? I don't know if you know, know this, but often what's happening in advertisements is they've got a goal, which is to try to convince you that the kind of want that they're promoting is a need. That's the goal, okay? That's how advertising works. You move from wants to needs. And so try to think when you watch an ad, how is it trying to do this? How is this trying to tell me that this t-shirt is not a want, but a need? And when you start to do that, it kind of like rips the curtain off and it helps you to see the way these things work. It's like um, going behind the stage when a magician is performing a magic act. You kind of see how it works and you're less enthralled by it. And so the first thing I want to encourage you to do is to just be aware of the game that's being played. Pay attention to how things are trying to move your hearts and what they're trying to sell you and why it won't ever give you what they want. There's a guy called James K. Smith. He wrote a book uh, called You Are What You Love. And in that, he talks about how supermarkets are almost like temples of worship and how they have their own kind of liturgy, their own ways of being and ways of uh, doing things in life. And every time you step into a shopping mall, it's trying to do something to you. And it's powerful and really helpful to think about it like this. And so maybe you can just have that in the back of your mind. Every time you open that shopping app on your phone, every time you step in to a, a shopping mall, know that you aren't on neutral ground. Those are religious places trying to sell you a good that promises something that it can't ever deliver. And once you wise up to that, I think it really helps you to not fall into the trap. That's the first thing. The second thing I want to say is there are actually ways that you can help your heart to love God more than stuff. Okay? There are all sorts of practical things. Often when we think about people, humans, we can talk about three parts of us. Our mind, our bodies, and our hearts. And often it can be tricky to know how do we work on our hearts. And one of the ways that we can do that is by working on the things that we do with our bodies. So the things we can do with our bodies which change our hearts. And I want to give you a suggestion now. See, if it's about our hearts and wanting things, one thing that we can do is stop buying things for a little bit. So here's a thought for you. Maybe what you could do is for a period of time, let's just say two months, you don't buy anything new that you can't consume. 
Okay, nothing new. No new t-shirts, no new power boards, no new pens, nothing. And I wonder what it might do for your heart. Uh, when Christy and I were dating a very long time ago, we went a whole year without buying new clothes, just to see what it would do. We bought other new things, but we didn't buy any new clothes. And I think to this day, it's changed the way I think about uh, material possessions. Maybe that's something you could do. If you feel like you're kind of caught up in this kind of constant cycle of buying new stuff to make you feel better, maybe don't buy anything for a couple of months and see how it changes uh, your heart. So that's the first thing you can do. That's something with your body. The second thing you could do with your body, uh, there's a book called The Barefoot Disciple. I forget who wrote it now off the top of my head, but uh, it's kind of like the Christian version of The Barefoot Investor. So if you want to grab a copy, it's a great read and it's really helpful in terms of thinking about money and the place of money in your life. And one of the things the author in there suggests is, he suggests every time you go and splurge for something big that you want in your life, so say you really want uh, a new, you know, expensive pair of shoes, you match that by giving to a charity or to another kind of goodwill organisation. And what that does is, it does kind of two things. It asks the question, do I really actually need this thing (laughs) if I'm willing to pay twice for it? But also, if you do need it, it also means that not just you benefit, but someone else benefits. So maybe that's something you could try. Maybe you've been saving up for a little while for something new and big. Maybe you could buy it, but also you could save up enough money to give to something else to see that money bless and benefit other people. So there's two things you could do with your body. Lastly, I want to give us something you could do with your mind, which helps form your heart. So remember before I said be aware of the games that they play. The other thing I want to continue to encourage you to do, and this is a bit of a quirky one, but I want to encourage you to maybe consider reading stories of other faithful Christians through the ages. Uh, Why do I say that? Well, I think uh, we often live in a little vacuum of people we know and things that we do in our time, in our place. But throughout the centuries, there's been so many faithful Christians who've loved Jesus and walked with the Lord. And so maybe something you could do is pick up a short biography uh, of someone else who's loved Jesus and think about what it looks like in their life. I think what this kind of does for us is it gives us perspective and it helps us to see what does faithfulness maybe look like for someone else. Maybe that might help your mind, as you take it in, change your heart and what you think a life well lived looks like. Well, we need to wrap up. But really what we've seen tonight is that all of us, whether we are aware of it or not, are in a battle for our hearts. And all of these things that tell us they can give us happiness and joy and satisfaction are just, at the end of the day, lying. And they can never deliver what they promise. But God always delivers what he promises. And so we should seek to love and serve God, not money. Because when you love and serve God, that gives you eternal joy and satisfaction that will never waste away and can never be taken away. And that is a life well lived. Let me pray to close. Our Father God, we thank you that uh, you love us. We thank you for your word. We just pray that you help us all to think about our hearts, think about the things that we love and help us be people who love you and the things of your world, not the things of ours. Amen.